It's a privilege to preach the Word of God. So would you look in your Bibles to Philippians? And if you know, as Christians, I'm sure you're familiar with this book. You know this is Paul writing from prison to a church that was very near and dear to him. In fact, you know, when you pray for some people, your heart gets heavy. Uh, every time he went to pray for this church, look at verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. It's a wonderful thing to pray for certain people and your heart's just filled with joy. That's the way it was for this church. And a big reason for that was, if you look at the next verse, your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. And I'm not trying to compare myself to Paul or you to Philippi, but uh, it gives me the opportunity to thank you for your partnership in the gospel from the first day uh, before we ever went to France, uh, even until now. And so it is biblical and it is right to thank you and thank the Lord for these things. And this partnership in the gospel was demonstrated in two ways. I just want to point them out. If you'll jump forward to verse 18, he says right there in the middle of the verse where it starts a new paragraph, Yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ this will turn out for my deliverance. So their partnership was demonstrated through prayer. That's what Paul's thinking of. Through your prayers. God literally moves through the Spirit and through human prayer. You have them connected here. The Spirit of God and human prayer. And then if you want to jump ahead to the last chapter, Philippians 4, 14, he says, It was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent to help me for my needs once and again. So it's through prayer and then through giving financially. And he'll say later on, this last gift, wow, you've given me more than I need. I have all. I'm filled having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. So that is how you've demonstrated your partnership towards us. We do get emails from people in this church uh, that tell us that they pray, and that is meaningful to us. And your generous giving to your local church has allowed your church to support us, and that too is very meaningful to us. So what was Paul here? Paul's the missionary writing back to his church, supporting church, what was his prayer for them? And if you'll go back to chapter 1, you'll, you'll see that. Philippians 1, verse 9. He says, it's my prayer. Perhaps you like that in French. Et ce que je demande dans mes prières, c'est que votre amour augmente de plus en plus en connaissance et en pleine intelligence pour le discernement des choses les meilleures, afin que vous soyez purs et irréprochables Pour le jour de Christ, rempli, rempli du fruit de justice qui est par Jésus-Christ à la gloire et à la louange de Dieu. That is his prayer for them. And I just want to point out, if I can walk through this prayer backwards, uh, six things about this prayer. The first thing, and this is the ultimate thing, this is where he ends. He is praying for a life that personally contributes to the glory and praise of God in the day of Christ. 
That's his prayer. You see that at the very end? Everything is directed here towards a specific day, and he has a specific desire. The specific day is mentioned back in verse 6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's what he's thinking of. It's like someone who's thinking of his birthday. He's thinking of that day. And the specific desire, if you go to the end of the book, you don't have to, but he ends this way. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how he ends the book. So he's got a day and a desire in his his mind. And we know the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever on that day. And he wants them to continue to personally contribute to that. That is the end of, of the prayer. To the, if you look at the end of verse 11, to the glory and praise of God. Now, what word would you put in the blank here? What can I blank for God? Think of a two-letter word. What would you kind of think of putting in there? What can I blank for God? Well, we'd probably, if you're like me anyway, the first word that come to my mind would be do. What can I do for God? But look there in the middle of verse 10. He, he's praying this so that they will, what's the two-letter word in that verse? Be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Perhaps we should think this way as well. What can I be for God? Because we honor God as much by what we are as by what we do. And what we do, of course... I mean, what we are, excuse me, demonstrates itself then in in fruit. And there's a reference to that in verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So this is the second thing I want to point out. He's praying for a life filled with righteous fruit that comes through the ministry of Christ's Spirit. See that reference there to fruit of righteousness? Righteousness is used in the Bible as a synonym for holiness. Like in Ephesians 4.24, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's synonym ideas here. Righteousness is also used as a synonym for good and true. As in Ephesians 5.9, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right, that's this word translated righteous, and true. Good, righteous, and true. And the image we need to bring to our minds is an agrarian. It's like a farmer here. And he's got, he's got a garden. Some of you probably have gardens. And, you know, there's some years where you just have a tomato here and one green bean over here. And there are other years where your garden is just producing so much, you're having to give stuff away. And that is the image here. Your life is like this field that's full of this rich produce that is this righteous, holy, good, 
and true fruit that's coming out of your life. There's no question that you belong to Christ. And where does this fruit of righteousness come from? This is very important to notice that in verse 11. You're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get that fruit. No other way. And though the Spirit is not mentioned in this chapter, we know it's His role in sanctification. The Spirit, and He's called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so He has this role in our lives. Now, who who doesn't want this? What Christian doesn't want this? On the day of Christ, you stand before Christ, He looks at your life, and here is your life, a field full of rich produce to His glory. What Christian wouldn't want that? This is the opposite of being saved as though through fire. This is a life filled with fruit. And how does that happen? Now, I think, as I thought more and more of this verse throughout the years, that this is one of those paradigm-shifting passages for how we live the Christian life. And I would encourage you to memorize uh, this prayer. It's not that long. And to begin to pray it and to meditate on it. Because how does that happen? Look at verse 10. It happens by doing this, that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You see that relationship there? How can we be pure and blameless and full of this fruit? It comes that now in the present, you are approving what is excellent. So the third thing I want to mention here is a life, he's praying for a life lived in pursuit of the more excellent choice. Now there are two important words here to notice. That word translated approve, also translated in other translations like examine or discern, and then the word translated excellent. Okay, which also can be translated in other passages of Scripture as value, like when Jesus says, you know, he's talking, talking about people and sparrows, and he says, are of you not much more value? That's this word translated excellence. You're much more excellence than, than the birds. And so you have translations like this. This I pray that you will be able to decide what is best. Or that you'll be able to determine what is best. Or that you may judge and approve the things that are more excellent. Because that word there, uh, translated here, judge and approve or determine, uh, it has this idea of both testing and then setting your approval on something. So that you will be able to choose what is best. This is the constant identification of and identification with what is excellent and of most value. And what this prayer presumes is the fact that most of our choices as Christians are not made on the basis of what is good or bad, or permissible and prohibited, but most of our choices are made on the basis of what is of less value 
and what is of more value. Really, it, we're, we're pretty low on the scale of the Christian life if, if we're still trying to determine whether that is outlawed for Christians or not. Most of our choices are in this elevated category of what is more excellent or not excellent. And so the question, the desire of Paul for his supporting church is that they would live lives in pursuit of the most excellent choice. And this has been one of the most helpful and liberating truths in my own Christian walk. Because for a long time, I, I, I lived in more of a legal reference point. And legal refers to the law. And we can use legalist in several ways. A pure legalist, someone who believes he's justified by keeping the law. That, that would be the, the primary definition of a legalist. He comes before God, he's justified. And most religions in the world are legalistic religions. But we can look at the Christian life through the legal lens, so to speak. And so a legalist, in the way I'm using it this morning with this text, is someone who believes that the Christian life is to be guided by some biblically defined legal code. So how I walk my Christian journey is determined, this person reasons, by what the Bible directly instructs me to do or not to do. And so you can have two people arguing about something. To say this, they're arguing about a certain practice. And they're on opposite ends of the issue. But yet they can share the same basic premise. That the primary guide to my Christian life is finding the right legal code. I do it or I don't do it. And these people are making choices based on what is allowed or not allowed. But what the missionary is praying for his supporting church in this text, look at verse 10, is that you may test and approve what is excellent. That you may judge and approve the things that are more excellent. So it's not legality we're pursuing, it's excellence that we're pursuing. It's the pursuit of excellence that remains an obligation for us as believers. It's not optional to pursue what is excellent. It's like when you tell a child, you need to do your best. You're not telling him exactly what to do, but he has the obligation still to do his very best. So how are you going to make excellent choices? Look again at the text, starting there in verse 9. And it is my prayer that you love me about more and more. Here's key to making excellent choices. With knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent. A life lived in pursuit of the more excellent choice demands this, fourthly, a life committed to the exercise of biblically informed discernment. And the key words here are knowledge and discernment. Biblically informed, knowledge, biblical knowledge, God's knowledge that affects my discernment. Obeying the Bible's primary commands, do you know, is not enough to be pleasing to God. There are necessary deductions and there are secondary obligations that though they must be carefully distinguished from primary commands, they remain nonetheless essential to fulfilling those primary commands. Let me give you an illustration 
that happened a long time ago, really. It did happen many years ago with my, two of my children. And neither of them are here, so this is okay. We were sitting, and I, the reason I remember this is because I used it the next day in France, and then I got in trouble for using this illustration, so it stuck with me. But we're at the table, we're eating outside, and I, we sent in one of our children to, to go get water or something. Stands up, goes, goes to go in, and the other child says, could you also get the salt and pepper? So the first child says, Dad, do I have to? I said, no, you don't have to, but you have to love your, your neighbor as yourself. And I see a battle going on. And, well, Beth, but do I have to? I said, no, you don't have to get the salt and pepper, but you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And finally that child just said, just tell me I have to do it. <laughs> Didn't want to do it for the brother, but wanted the command. And I, I, at that time, I refused. I said, no, I'm not telling you what to do, but you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Just last week, cleaning the room. We were in there cleaning. I told one of my children, you know, we need to clean this room up. Dad, just tell me what to do. What do you want me to do? Because if not, we'll be here forever. And if you'd seen the room, you'd probably had the same conclusion. You know, we'd rather say, okay, i got to vacuum, make the bed. Give me a list, that way I know when I'm done. But if you just tell me to clean the room, I don't know where to start and where to end. But that's the way God treats us. He gives us these primary commands and expects that we exercise discernment for how to fulfill those. And sometimes we go, just tell me exactly what you want me to do. He says, no. I'm giving you the primary obligation, and I'm demanding now that you exercise discernment for how to fulfill that. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right. That's that same word we found righteous in our text. And true. And notice now this, this, this phrase. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now I want to make an appeal to the young people here. To live by resolutions and resolve rather than by rules. Take the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, for example. He had resolutions and resolve that led him to specific choices, but those were related to his primary desires. And just to show you how this works in Scripture, take a command like redeem the time. You know that command. That is a command that's impossible to obey without discerning and implementing secondary choices, right? You can't just say, ha, did it, redeem the time, got that done, it's over, it's behind me. And you can't say, redeeming the time means X for everybody. Because it doesn't. You know, God could say, you get up at this time, spend this amount of time reading your Bible, you're allowed this much time in recreation, But God doesn't do that. 
He says, no, redeem the time. And then we have to exercise these necessary deductions, these secondary obligations, which are not primary commands. We can't treat them as primary commands. But they remain, nonetheless, essential to fulfilling the primary commands. And we want to say, God, just tell me how much, you know, tell me what time I have to get out of bed in the morning. Or tell me how much time I can spend on the internet or watching the news. And God says, no, I'm not going to tell you that. You're reading the time. You see how that takes so much active discernment and meditation to fulfill that command? I'll give you another command. Just touch on it. Hebrews 12, 28, 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I mean, here's another command that demands the exercise of discernment. You, you can't obey that. Worship God with acceptable worship and reverence and awe without making necessary deductions and applying to yourself secondary obligations. And though they must always be carefully distinguished from primary obligations, they remain nonetheless essential to fulfilling the primary command. God is commanding us to exercise biblically informed discernment and distinguish not between the good and the bad, but between the good and the excellent. And then we're commanded to choose the excellent. That is the level we should be living on. If you want a life filled with the fruit of righteousness, that is the level you need to live your life on. And so what if we live our lives this way? What if our entertainment choices were made not concerned about what was allowable or not, but in the pursuit of excellence? And here's another illustration that might help. Imagine newborn parents of a newborn child. The first morning home, the baby cries. And so the dad, the new dad, he's saying, okay, let me see, what does the legal code say? Looks it up online. Oh, it says we have to feed and clothe our children. I guess we better get to it. Does, does a parent get up every morning thinking about what he can or cannot do as a parent? What is allowable or not allowable as a parent? Of course not. Why not? Because a parent loves the child. And so Paul's praying here that we might personally contribute to the glory and praise of God on the day of Christ. We have this life filled with the fruit of righteousness in the pursuit of the more excellent choice, committed to biblically informed discernment, And what does that all grow out of according to our text? He says, it's my prayer that you're what? Hopefully you're looking at your text still. You haven't closed your Bible yet, have you? First Philippians 1.9. And it is my prayer that your love. Can we say that together? It's my prayer that your That is the source of it all. And so fifthly, a life. He prays for life of ever-deepening love for God, and for my neighbor. This makes it completely different than the legalistic path. You can't follow laws out of love. But you know what? If you love somebody, you'll go way beyond the law. Have you ever had the experience of someone you love getting a medical diagnosis? And all of a sudden, a term you'd heard before, certain kind of cancer, I mean, it always been there, but all of a sudden you're interested in it, and you're looking it up, and the different treatments and 
why, why you all of a sudden want to be so discerning about this malady? Because someone you love has it. And it's the same in our Christian life. When we love God, we want to do all we can to please Him. It's above all a question of do we really love Him? And we need to pray that. And that's my last point. He says, and this I pray. We, we can't wring people's neck and make them love God. We can't produce this in ourselves. We have to go to God, use the means of grace He's given us, and we have to pray, God, grow our love. So here's the prayer of this missionary for his supporting church. That your love would abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment so that you may test and approve the things that are excellent so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which come through Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray this. This is our prayer. That you would not leave us to ourselves. Oh God, save us from ourselves. Help us to set our affections on things above and not on things of this earth. And enable us through love, loving discernment, to be able to test and approve all that is excellent. And Father, we pray these things to the glory and the praise of our triune God, both in this life and forever. Amen.